This is Sarah Peretsky, and you're listening to Writer Types. Hi there, this is Ian Rankin. This is Lee Child. This is Meg Gardner. This is Lawrence Block. I'm Don Winslow. This is Attica Locke. This is Alex Segura. This is Laura McHugh. That is such a great question. That's a really good question. That's interesting. I'm Alifair Burke, and this is Writer Types. Welcome to Writer Types. I am your host, Eric Beatner, and I bring you three more authors this time, but today we have quite the coincidence, all three of our authors are also doctors. That has never happened before, and trust me, it was quite by accident. And we also take a look at some of the most anticipated books of the fall with some help of some friends of the show. Uh, I do want to kick things off by talking about some of the books I'm most looking forward to. I already got my new John Rector book, Broken, which I really enjoyed, and the latest Joe Lansdale, More Better Deals. That was fantastic. But coming out in the coming months, uh, Ryan Gaddis has a new book out in December, and any new book of his is a cause for excitement around my house anyway. It's called The System, and I will be the first in line for that new one from Ryan Gaddis. Ken Bruin's latest Jack Taylor book, A Galway Epiphany, uh, is automatically going to the top of my list. Though, I, you know, I, at this point, I got to say, Ken is taking up a lot of space on my shelves, and I do not have a whole lot of shelf space left. But what can I do? A new Ken Bruin book is an automatic buy for me. And we had her on the show, but I did want to mention again, Hallie Sutton's novel, The Lady Upstairs. Uh, after a long delay, it comes out this fall, and it is highly recommended for noir fans and fans of a good L.A. crime novel. But let's hear from some other folks, and we're going to start right in on the recommendations uh, from our friends at Murder by the Book in Houston, Texas. This is John McDougall, the event coordinator at Murder by the Book in Houston, Texas, and I wanted to tell you about a couple of books that the staff is really excited about for the fall. The first being Richard Osmond's The Thursday Murder Club. Set in a luxury retirement village, it's the story of four people in their late 70s who get together every week to discuss crimes from the past. But when a murder occurs right in front of them, they have their very first murder to solve. My coworker Brenda absolutely loved this book and said it's perfect for British mystery fans or Golden Age mystery fans. She says it's witty, poignant, clever, and so British you can't help but love it. The next book I want to talk about is Invisible Girl by Lisa Jewell. Set in a suburb of North London, teenager Sapphire has gone missing. Suspicion falls to a local guy named Owen Peck. He's a loner who lives in the area and has a history of inappropriate behavior towards women. Add to that Sapphire's childhood therapist Roan and his seemingly normal family that live across the street from Owen and Sapphire has been watching Roan. The psychological thriller grabs you from the get-go and doesn't let go. Jewel's ability to give us real-life characters in true-to-life settings is once again evident in Invisible Girl. In the last couple of years, Lisa Jewel has become a huge staff favorite. We're all big fans of her books, and we're so excited for everybody to discover Invisible Girl. Well, those books and many more can be ordered at murderbooks.com. Check them out and support independent bookstores. And we even have more indie bookstores coming up later in the show. But for now, my first guest, Ian K. Smith, whose new novel, The Unspoken, is the start of a new PI series. Ian is the best-selling author of health and fitness books, as well as being a TV host, a public speaker, and he was a member of President Obama's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. Yes, he is a doctor. So let's kick off our Doctor Trio show with Ian K. Smith. Well, 
Dr. Ian Smith, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, you know, you are a fascinating person with a long resume, but let's, to start with, let's focus on the new novel, The Unspoken. Now, this introduces us to Ash Kane, Chicago PI. Uh, and I got to say, your public persona is very upbeat and positive, but Ash gets down and dirty and into some serious, you know, life-threatening trouble. Is this uh, maybe the other side of you that feels good to get out on the page? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure he's my alter ego in that way. However, um, I will say that one of the beauties of being a novelist is that you're able to create stories that allow you to go into other worlds that you otherwise would not be able to go. So I think that the beauty of fiction is the exploratory nature of it, and it allows you to live and dwell and work in a world that's very foreign to the one you as an author, living on a daily basis. Yeah, well, now this interesting thing about this episode, all three of my authors this time are all doctors. It just sort of happened to work out that way, and I ran with it. But of those three, you were the only one who's chosen to write about a character who's not a doctor. So it sounds like this was something that is was always going to be the case. You you used your fiction to explore worlds outside of your day to day. Yeah, you know, I think it's a challenge to kind of go outside of the medical world and write a character. Ash himself is not a physician, not a scientist, not a researcher. He's a former police detective who left the department after not wanting to participate in a cover-up of a bad shooting. And so he becomes a private investigator. But their writers tend to write what they know well. And so it makes sense that doctors have physicians or other healthcare professionals as their main characters. I just chose to do something that was a little more, shall we say, creatively uh, extensive. You know, I extended, you know, my imagination beyond what I'm accustomed to. Right. And, but you set it in Chicago. So do you have experience uh, in Chicago? Is that where you're from? or? Oh, yeah. So Chicago is where I went to medical school, where my wife's family is from. And uh, But I thought that Chicago is a great place for this kind of character. First of all, Chicago is a flyover city. People think about New York and L.A., but Chicago is the third largest city. It's got big land mass, very diverse population in and around the area. Uh, and I just think that the history of the city, the political corruption in the city, which is city which is foundational to how the city operates, the gang history right. of the city, going back to El Capone. I just think Chicago is a very fascinating place to put a bunch of cases in. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, if you're going to talk about, uh, yeah, like you say, corruption and, and crime, you can't go uh, wrong setting that story in Chicago, <laughs> for better or worse. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, this is a, it's a find the girl story at its core, and it follows a lot of you know traditional PI story structure. But there's also some exploration of class and, and race in here. I mean, Ash takes this case among the Chicago sort of social and economic elite and he has to contend with being a bit of fish out of water along the way. And then, like like you mentioned, you know, his backstory of how he left the force. I mean, Ash is a man who seems to be frequently out of place and kind of taking his own path, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing behind Ash Kane is he ostensibly and on paper seems like he should be out of place, but he's never out of place. He's comfortable wherever he is. He's able to adapt. Uh, he's able to make adjustments. He's able to speak the language of wherever he is, but he remains true to himself. So he doesn't really change the core of who he is, but he's able to fit in wherever he goes. And I think that's the kind of character I like to read about. I like to read about a guy 
or woman who's strong, who's always who they are, but they're able to work any situation. And so whether Ash is on the North Shore of Chicago, which tends to be very affluent, or he's on the gritty South Side or in the Gold Coast, he's able to do what he does, be who he is, and still get the job done. Yeah, I, I definitely I like that about him a lot. I mean, even from the very beginning, you know, when he's summoned to this big mansion and like you say, he's he shows up and doesn't let himself be intimidated by this world, even though the people may be looking down their noses at him a little bit. He's he's going to be his own guy no matter what. Yeah. And I think also that the idea is he's very comfortable in his skin. He doesn't he's he's serious about uh, his cases. He's serious about making wrongs into rights and pursuing justice. But he's also sarcastic. He's got a, a dry sense of humor. Uh, he's very witty. He doesn't take himself too seriously. So he's not this kind of, you know, dour, somber private investigator. He's driven, but he's also very relatable. I mean, he's a fun guy. You'd like to hang out with this guy. Oh, for sure. Now, in the world of uh, crime and mystery, I mean, uh, you know, these are books that are generally considered to be pretty escapist and uh, people read for fun to sort of, like you say, get out of their their real world. I mean, obviously, being a doctor, you know, all the way back through medical school and then in practice, that's a pretty high stress situation. Is uh, crime and mystery fiction something you've always turned to for a little bit of an escape? Well, I think I've always loved stories since I was a kid. And I think good storytelling is escapism for everyone and to listen to it and to read it or to see it. And so I've always loved stories. I also always believed that just because I loved science and math and because I knew I was going to be a doctor, I didn't believe the kind of the old advice, which is you choose one lane and you stick to it. That didn't make sense to me. Like, why do I want to spend my whole life, which is short, relatively speaking, and I only have one of them? Why would I just choose one thing when there's so many fun things you can do in life. So I've always been someone who's had eclectic passions and interests. And so, yes, serious about medicine, serious about science, but also serious about other things, about history, about geography, about travel, exploration. And I love mysteries and suspense always. And so when I decided that I was going to write something, I decided to write something that, you know, appealed to me personally. You know, writers often write what they like to read. And so I like to read and watch thrillers. And so I wanted to write something that was on par with that. So it just came very natural for me. Yeah, well, if you you certainly do have, uh, like I say, a long resume. I mean, you've been a TV show host, you, you've make talk show appearances, done speaking engagements. And uh, I mean, I guess that wasn't enough for you. You, you got to shove your way into the mystery writing world to make the rest of us feel like slackers. No, 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 no. I never, I never, <laughs> I never look at what I do or what I choose to do in a comparative way. You know, I always say to people who follow my diet programs, I say, look in the mirror. That's your competition. So for me, it's all about me being able to look at myself in the mirror and being happy that I am pursuing and being the person who I want to be and not who someone else expects me to be or wants me to be. I think that part of who I am just as a person is I am eternally curious. I am very driven. Um, and I have eclectic interests, and so I just go for it. I mean, I'm not afraid of failure, uh, but I work very hard at things. Sometimes I fail, sometimes I succeed, but if I'm going to do something, I get into it. 
Well, so there's got to be something that you can't do out there. Like if I said, hey, you know, bake me a cake, is that something that you would, you might uh, miss the mark on? Is it, what, What's the one thing that you, you still want to conquer that you haven't yet? Well, I can, I can bake a cake very well, actually, so that's not a good example, but uh, <laughs> I'd love to play, I'd love to play an instrument. I'd love to play the guitar or piano, and I'm trying to find the time to squeeze out because you have to be consistent. Anything you want to do well, you got to what we call in weightlifting and sports, you got to get the reps, the repetitions. And so I just have not had the time really to sit down an hour or two hours a day and play the piano or guitar. But that is definitely high on my list. Well, there you go. I I got one up on you. (laughs) (laughs) What do you play? I I play guitar. I've I've been a guitarist. Yeah. Since I was a, since I was a teenager, but, but you're right. It's, it is one of those things that like it takes time, but I, and, and I don't play as much as I used to since I stopped being in a band, you know, those darn kids, but it's, I think any of those things, it's going to be the perfect thing uh, to sit there on the back porch in your retirement and say, all right, now it's time. And you can pick up that thing later in life. I think that's one of the beauties of, of playing an instrument. Absolutely. 100%. And I just think that, you know, you can play an instrument almost forever. And so that's why it's one of those things that I'd like to to be able to do. And, you know, doggone it, I got to get to it soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, on the cover of this book, you get that all-important tag of a New York Times number one bestseller. Uh, but that was with your health and fitness books, of which you have many bestsellers. This is also not your first novel. So now with some experience in both worlds, is the mystery and fiction writing world just a, a complete world away from the nonfiction uh, book business? Uh, no, no, not at all. So um, I write both fiction and nonfiction. I typically write a health book that comes out every April. In fact, I got one coming out next year. It's called Fast Burn, The Power of Negative Energy Balance. So it's a weight loss program, big program. I'm very excited about that. Sorry, up on Amazon. Um, but no, I plan on writing uh, two books a year. I'll write my fiction uh, in the fall, October, November, and do my health book in April. So I, I am full steam ahead in both lanes. And uh, I mean, I enjoy the challenge of ping ponging from one to the other. Really, it keeps me mentally and intellectually engaged very much. Yeah, that's so important when you deal with the the writing process, which is so much in your head, and you do have to to dedicate so much brain space to it. When when you have the opportunity to sort of step out and shift gears and give that other side of your brain a rest, that's really important to the process, right? You know, absolutely. I think that you know it allows you to reset. You know, fiction and nonfiction they have some similarities, but they have vast dissimilarities. And I think that what happens is when you go from one to the other, it really allows you to hit the reset button. And hitting that reset button, I think, really starts up your your creativity, whether it's for the fiction or the nonfiction. So I think, actually, it helps to do both. Not that the material feeds each other, but I think the energy and the sequence of that writing style, they feed each other. Well, all right. I cannot let you go without uh, trying to squeeze some free medical advice from you here. So... I feel like I eat pretty well. I mean, I, I don't eat red meat. I, I don't uh, drink alcohol. I don't uh, drink anything with caffeine. I'm not a you know soda addict or anything. I, I'll, I'll admit to having a bit of a sweet tooth. I like a good dessert. Mm-hmm. But uh, in this quarantine, exercise has been hard to come by. You know, they canceled my volleyball league. So uh, I will admit I've put on six or seven pounds probably since February. What's the first thing I should do to start to try to drop that weight? try some intermittent fasting. So try to do TRF, time-restricted feeding, where you have a feeding window 
and you have a fasting window, you break the 24 hour day up into that. So maybe you'll start with a 14 hour fast for the other 10 hours when you eat all of your meals and snacks that you typically would have been eating throughout the day. Number two, I would also add on to it, eating cleaner, less processed ingredients. You know, doing something like that can definitely put, you know, six pounds is not a lot of weight. And, you know, it's not like you're, you're, you're in the hole big, you know, so I think that can come off fairly quickly. Well, all right. I've, so I've, I've read the Ian K. Smith uh, PI novel. Time for me to turn to uh, some of these diet and exercise novels and, uh, and get back on track. So I, I appreciate uh, that you, you do both lanes there, sir. <laughs> I, aim, I aim to please. <laughs> well, time for some more upcoming fall reads. And here to share some of their most anticipated books are authors and friends of writer types, Rachel Housel-Hall, Jennifer Hillier, and Stephen Graham-Jones. This is Rachel Housel-Hall, author of And Now She's Gone. So I'm excited that Jess Lowry has a new book coming out this winter called Bloodline. It's about um, a pregnant journalist who goes back to her fiance's home in Minnesota and they're a bit strange back there. They're kind of intrusive and they kind of make her feel like she's being tracked. Something's going on. There's weird things happening, uh, she, but she thinks she's being uh, crazy. She thinks she's imagining things, but she's not. And so it's creepy. And so I love it. And so I hope you check out Bloodline in the winter. This is Jennifer Hillier, author of Little Secrets. They're Gone by E.A. Amar, writing as E.A. Bars, is a thriller about two very different women whose lives would probably never intersect if not for the fact that their husbands were murdered in the exact same way. They team up to get to the truth, and in the process, they're forced to come to terms with the reality of what their marriages were, what they've lost, what they want. It's about grief and secrets and betrayal and also about fighting back. I loved it. It's out in November from Crooked Lane Books. Hello, Stephen Graham Jones here, the author most recently of Night of the Mannequins and the Only Good Indians. I would like to recommend Rebecca Roanhorse's Black Sun. It's a second world fantasy with some of the best world building I've stumbled across. The story pulls you through by the face, you can't look away. You immediately want to pay whatever you have to pay to get early access to the rest of the series. Can't recommend it enough. My next doctor guest is Dr. Joel Shulkin, whose new book, Adverse Effects, is a thriller that goes far beyond a standard medical thriller. And he's here to tell us about that book and about how sometimes the best ideas come while riding the bus. Who knew? Well, thank you for joining me, Doctor. Uh, your novel, Adverse Effects, is about a new drug reaching the market and maybe not being all it was promised. Uh, and I got to say, your timing could not be better for this book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, is this the kind of thing that, uh, that gives doctors anxiety whenever a, a, a new treatment that's supposed to be a miracle cure hits the, hits the market? Oh, for sure. And I mean, that's why you always see people complain about well, but the FDA said this drug was safe and and everybody said this was a great drug and then they come back and they find there's a problem. You know, unfortunately, the fact is even drugs that have been well vetted and tested 
sometimes things can come up that we didn't anticipate or we didn't find before. I mean, I've had patients who had really, really rare and unusual reactions to drugs that hadn't been reported before. Oh, wow. The American Academy of Pediatrics has come up pretty strongly that when a vaccine is proposed for COVID, that we want to make sure that it goes through all the testing that we do for every other vaccine before we can possibly endorse it. Right. Well, and I got to imagine that being a physician, your day is kind of rife with the, these little anxieties and it's just a very stressful job. And out of that, it seems like the perfect cauldron with which to create fiction and especially thriller fiction. I mean, is this, is your day just an endless series of new ideas for stories? <laughs> well, I mean, I work mostly with kids, so I don't quite get that same level of plot development necessarily as I would if I was <laughs> in psychiatry or uh, in the ER, of course. I um, actually um, wrote a, an article for Crime Reads recently about uh, medical thrillers that are set outside the emergency room because it seems like most of the time, you know, that's where all the action takes place. Yeah. Um, but in fact, you know, as, as I show in adverse effects, um, even in the clinic, there can be uh, a lot going on. And then from a story standpoint, I can also think about, you know, okay, well, what if something went wrong? And that's kind of what happened <laughs> with this story was the idea of, you know, it actually started with, I was on a bus. It was a totally empty bus and the bus stopped and one man got on and out of the entire bus decided to sit directly behind me. <laughs> and I was like, what the heck is with this guy? Why is he doing this? And then I started thinking, well, this is creepy for me. What if I was a woman? How creepy would that be for her? Oh, yeah. And then I started thinking, what if he like leaned forward and whispered, I know who you really are? Oh, geez. <laughs> and, and so when I got home, I told my wife about it and said, you know, I had this idea about, you know, what if that could be part of a story? And we started talking. And then the idea was, well, what if she didn't know who she really was? And there was a medication involved that was supposed to help with that, but really wasn't. Yeah, well, there you go. That's that, that's the the writer brain at work. No matter where you are, right? <laughs> even, even on a bus, the story might show itself to you. But I, I mean, I think to call this a medical thriller only is maybe even underselling it a bit. I mean, it's right. also it's a bit of a conspiracy thriller. I mean, Christina sure. she uncovers some nasty stuff and it explores the fleeting nature of memory. I mean. Did you really want to intentionally get beyond a disease of the week kind of, you know, medical thriller kind of style? As tempting as it is with your physician experience, you wanted to break out of just being a medical thriller. I think that kind of evolved over time. I originally wasn't thinking that, although I was thinking about, I think, to some degree, the conspiracy when I first started writing just from the man on the bus. I really wasn't intending it for it to be a series when I first started writing it. And it wasn't until probably like the seventh or eighth revision that I came up with this idea of, wait, what if I put this twist at the end and it could be a series? And so that led me to go back and really start laying some Easter eggs along the way that would lead into that sequel. In most good medical thrillers, it's not just the disease. There really is some antagonist there and you know, it has to be some kind of villain. Um, and as the villain in this case grew, um, it grew in, he grew in scope as well. And I realized, wow, this could really be a bigger, a bigger issue going on. And that's where the espionage and all that came in. Um, part of that also is because my two big inspirations, I think, for this story were a combination of the Bourne identity, mm -hmm. um, which, of course, brings in all that conspiracy, but also Total Recall. 
Oh, yeah. But that's, and of course, I also watch a lot of Alias, which kind of influenced that as well. <laughs> um, so that's where I was able to decide, you know what, let's break this beyond just a straightforward medical thriller and try to bring in those elements. Yeah, I mean, did it ever present a challenge when you're dealing with the main character who has uh, unreliable memories? I mean, does that does that ever make for a, a tricky balancing act of, uh, you know, because we all, we all like a, an unreliable narrator from time to time, but someone who... Right you truly can't trust her, her own brain? Is that, did that ever hit, hit any speed bumps for you? Oh, for sure. And I mean, parts of it were trying to make it clear, you know, who was in charge at the moment um, <laughs> and find which, which personality. Um, and also trying to, keep tra- trying to keep straight, well, what would she really be able to recall? What would she not? And how would that play in? You know, originally one of the ideas was that she had suffered complete memory loss. But then the question was, well, how could she know how to practice medicine? How could she even know her name if that was the case? And really, you almost never see that where there's 100% global amnesia because then they just wouldn't be able to function. Um, So I decided to make it a little bit more selective um, so that and bring in some of her true past in so that it made more sense as to how she was able to shift into this new role so easily. Now, all three authors that I'm talking to on the show today are doctors, uh, ironically okay. enough. And uh, you know, two, two of the three chose to write medical thrillers. I mean, was it ever a question of whether or not you were going to write something set in the medical world? Or did you kick around any non-medical ideas first? So actually, well, I started really writing after I got out of the military because I was um, an Air Force uh, pediatrician for about six years, including residency. And so I actually was writing a fantasy thriller series. And I even got to the point where I was querying it. But to be honest, it would need completely be rewritten because it was probably (laughs) only about 50,000 words. That was way too short. But as I was writing, I was and as I was trying to query and not getting where I started really doing more research into, well, how should you write a novel? How should you query? What should you be doing? And everything kept coming back to the idea of, well, you should write what you know. Mm-hmm. And that's when I said to myself, well, I'm a developmental pediatrician. You know, where am I going to get, how am I going to write what I know there? So I actually had emailed Tess Gerritsen oh. and asked her, you know, what should I do? How can I write this and this is not necessarily what I want to write and her reply was you shouldn't just write what you know because if you did that how boring would that be if you only wrote things that you knew Um, and she said you know you should write what you want to read or what you want to learn about so I took that to heart um, and I started writing you know dabbling a little bit more in some other ideas and then I met Michael Palmer at a medical society meeting and talked to him and listened to him talk about what a medical thriller was and what it wasn't. And then this idea for adverse effects came up on the bus and poof, that was it. Then I just took off from there. There you go. You have also written uh, some advice to authors about getting it right on things like autism and ADHD and Tourette's. If you're reading a book that has some incorrect information or or gets it wrong, is that a deal breaker? You immediately put it down or do you give uh, an author a little bit of leeway to write something that's outside of their normal wheelhouse? I give them some leeway. I mean, it depends on if I if they're claiming to be an authority or not. But in most cases, um, if it's a small thing, um, I, like I read a novel recently where there was a, an ICU doctor 
who uh, it took way too long for them to recognize a condition that should have been picked up quickly. And that was frustrating for me. Certainly if I see a medical thriller where they are shocking flatline, you know, where they're doing cardiovision on asystole, which is like the biggest no-no when it comes to uh, resuscitation, then I might really put it down. But usually it's not that blatant. Um, or if it's somebody who is writing uh, who's writing outside their wheelhouse, like you said, I'm going to give them a little bit of leeway. If I start, keep seeing problems like that, then I might give up. Yeah. If, if suddenly someone's uh, calling for a drug stat that would actually kill a person, you'd be like, all right, this is <laughs> clearly the editor missed something. <laughs> right. And then then you say, OK, well, yes, we're writing out of their wheelhouse, but they clearly didn't do their research. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like I have ever worked as a detective, but because it was a detective, you know, front and center in my story, I had to do a lot of research. And I actually listened to uh, regularly to a podcast. Um, called the writer's detective, where I'm constantly like listening to hear tips on how a detective would think and what are these little rules that most people aren't aware of. Yeah, yeah, that's well. I, I think uh, Tess was spot on with her advice there. I think because it is that balancing act of like you can't just rely on what you know, but then again, hopefully the goal is by the time you're finished with the book, it is something that you know now. It, it might right. not have been when you started, but now it is part of your bank of knowledge, right? Right, exactly. Christina is back uh, in the second book, Toxic Effects, uh, th- th- which is out next year. I mean, right. when you, you know, you say you started this not intending it to be a series, but now that you're locked into a series, is Christina, uh, she have a lot more entanglements to get into? Is this something you could see going on for a long time? There's at least going to be a third book, um, but I already have ideas on going past that, as well as um, another novel that I am that's in beta reading right now um, that I'm planning to connect and tie into the, the Christina's world so that there'll be almost like the Avengers, you know, how they introduced each character <laughs> in their own movie and then they, then they came together. It's going to be sort of like that. Nice. Taking on the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> or maybe not just the pharmaceutical industry, but kind of the underlying forces behind it. Aha. Uh-huh. Boy, you know, when is the pharmaceutical industry going to get a break in, in popular entertainment? They're such nice folks. <laughs> a lot of them are. I mean, to be honest, you know, there is that whole idea on big pharma, but a lot of the, especially a lot of the smaller companies, I mean, they really do have good intent, especially when it comes to vaccines. I think that most of them, there are many who give who basically are giving out the vaccines away for free. I think that we do tend to give them a, a tough break. But of course, from the medical thriller writer in me, um, we have to think about, well, they're just an easy target for, <laughs> you know, where <laughs> things can go wrong. And that's yeah. really what we have to, you know, have to look at is where could the problems be? And, and many medical thrillers, maybe it's not the drug company, it's the doctor who is at fault. Yeah. Well, uh, we look forward to reading more about uh, Christina's adventures, and uh, I I certainly hope that I never have to deal with anything that puts me in line to take a medication like this where I I can't trust my own brain to tell me who I am anymore. That that would be horrifying. (laughs) Yeah, I hope hope as well. (laughs) Uh, And uh, good luck on your next bus ride. I hope it uh, results in many new ideas for novels. Well, thanks. Fortunately, I don't ride the bus very much here in Florida, but... (laughs) You, you got to change. If, if you're ever stumped and you got writer's block, just, hey, hop out and get on the bus, right? I know. There we go. Maybe after the pandemic is over. But yeah. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> 
Another of our favorite indie bookstores here on Writer Types is Once Upon a Crime, and they're here for some more recommendations of great fall books. Hello, this is Devin from Once Upon a Crime Bookstore in Minneapolis. Today I am recommending Confessions on the 745 by Lisa Unger. After confessing to a stranger on the train that her husband has been sleeping with her nanny, her nanny goes missing. This one has multiple viewpoints, lots of twists, and protagonists you will happily root for. Unger just keeps getting better and better. If you're looking for something a bit on the creepier side for Halloween, check out The Devil in the Dark Water by Stuart Turton. Set in 1634, this book takes you on an adventure aboard a ship imperiled by devilry. A brilliant detective, his earnest henchman, a noblewoman, and her talented daughter all have to work together to solve this new take on a locked room murder. Is the devil real, or is someone else behind it all? Well, those books and more can be ordered at onceuponacrimebooks.indielight.com. And speaking of Minnesota, let's also check in with our resident reviewers, the Malmans, and hear what they're recommending this fall. Uh, and a few of these titles might be familiar already. <laughs> Dan and Kate, always great to talk to you. And uh, fall is upon us. It's still about 80 degrees here. Is it starting to change there and starting to feel like fall? It is literally twice as warm in California as it is here. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, it, we're, we're knee-deep in leaves, and it's uh, sweater season. Now, our little town in El Segundo has uh, declared no trick-or-treating because of the COVIDs. Uh, so I'm, I'm having a debate with my wife now. I've said, well, if we're not, there's no, no trick-or-treaters, I'm not going to put up Halloween decorations because this is a giant pain in my ass. Where, <laughs> where, where do you uh, fall on this debate? We don't have any Halloween decorations on account of we have been in our house for 12 years and we have never had a single child come to our door trick or treating. <laughs> wow. Honestly, that's okay. <laughs> we we literally are the house at the end of the lane. Yeah. You know, I mean it's yeah, we're the creepy house. With and with the dark scary woods slash swamp behind the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot you guys were swamp adjacent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now, but do you still go out and buy bags of candy? Oh, yeah, every day. I mean, that's just, <laughs> yeah. we also have uh, George Washington wooden teeth, but you know, that's, <laughs> that's just us. Well, one thing that I love about fall and, and winter, even in California, is you do sort of like to hunker down a little bit. You, you stick closer to home. Maybe you get some nights with the fire on. And what's better than to curl up with a good book? So on this episode, we are aiming people towards the anticipated fall reads. So we, we've already heard from some folks and I want to hear from what you guys are looking forward to this fall and winter season. Kate, why don't we start with you? All right. I am looking forward to They're Gone by E.A. Barnes. You also might know E.A. Barnes as E.A. Amar, also known as Ed Amar. Ed is trying something a little different that he wrote a uh, domestic suspense and it comes out in November from Crooked Lane Books. And in this one, two women's husbands are murdered the same way on the same night. And Mm. the two of them don't think the murders are really what the police say that they are. You know, there were some sketchy things going on with her husband. The two of them get put on this path trying to figure out what happened and getting pulled deeper and deeper into the lies that their husbands had woven. Well, now, how in the world has it taken this long for Ed Amar to write a story about a sketchy, untrustworthy husband? You know, that very true. And in Northern Virginia, 
He's been researching this for years. Ed's playing the long game. <laughs> uh, now, is, is it something you've already uh, read and can recommend or something you're just looking forward to? I've actually got an advanced copy of it and I really enjoyed it and I definitely recommend it. It's It'll be a good one to you know sit down uh, by fire, cuddle up with your loved one and really begin to question what's happening on the other end of the couch with your loved one. And then at the end, when you finish the book, you just toss it on fire, right? Exactly. Uh, well, Dan, you've got another uh, in highly anticipated book from another friend of writer types. What are, what are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to Bloodline by Jess Lowry. This one comes out um, in my birthday month, oh. January. So thank you, Jess, for the great gift of writing a great book. Um, this is one I have not um, read yet, but being fans of, of her whole catalog, um, this is re- really at the top of my my to be read pile. Her writing really like touches you. I mean, it's organic, um, and you're pulled in. Well, and and we know Jess is a big fan of the show, so I'm sure she's listening. So uh, Jess, right there, uh, might want to fling one of those Dan's way for his birthday. That would be great. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Gift so much. is it's already squared away. So I don't even have to think about it. Yeah, I I am not a deep guy. Um, you, I'm an easy easy person to take gifts for. Uh, so one thing that I want to talk about that I'm looking forward to is the next installment of the Malman anthology. The Widow Malman comes out this fall. Uh, I'm excited about this. Clearly, you guys are too. Was this uh, a, a lot of work that you that went into this second volume of Charity Anthology? Oh yeah, yeah. This is was just as much work as Killing Malman, but in this episode, uh, in the Revenge of the Widow Malman woman by the name of Kate Melman gets revenge for the untimely death or deaths of her husband, Dan. And we were able to work with several great short story writers. Um, every, there are 15 writers in the collection and all of them knocked it out of the park. Uh, some of them include Jordan Harper, uh, S.A. Cosby, Matthew Fitzsimmons, Nikki Dolson. We've got, yeah, we've got Sean Cosby, Sean Churkover and Sean Harris, all three Sean spell their name different ways. <laughs> well, that is exciting. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, of course, as we have featured the original Killing Malman on the show before, and this one as well, proceeds go to benefit a charity that's very close to you guys' heart, right, Kate? Yes. This one goes to, again, to the Upper Midwest National MS or Multiple Sclerosis Society. Uh, this is a organization that is very, very near and dear to us for personal reasons. Yeah, if I have to go out on a revengeful killing spree to avenge my husband's death, all of that money better go to charity. Yeah. Oh, as if this is not something you've been looking forward to for a long time. <laughs> well. I have a feeling it would not take a very strong push to get you over the edge. <laughs> what? Revenge killing spree? Yep. Sign me up. Done. <laughs> we would be remiss if we did not not only give our thanks to the 15 authors but also our cover artist brent schoonover so thank you so much yeah that's a killer cover way better than the first book yeah. <laughs> all right guys we'll have uh, have a great couple of months off and uh hopefully we'll see you back uh, in the new year with a lot of great new books and some new recommendations and it's always great to talk to you fantastic fantastic eric, eric. be safe be healthy you too vote Vote. Vote. Yes. <laughs> 
special signed copies of Revenge of the Widow Malman are available from our friends at onceuponacrime.indielight.com. So check those out. And I think now it's time to hear from the man himself, Ed Amar, who's already been recommended twice. So let's hear what he's looking forward to this fall. Hi, my name is Ed Amar. I write under the name E.A. Amar. And the book that I'm recommending that I'm excited about for this fall is J.J. Hensley's The Better of the Bad, which is the fourth in his Trevor Galloway series of novels. Uh, J.J. knows what he writes. It's uh, Trevor Galloway's a former Secret Service agent who moved from Pittsburgh to Georgia, which follows J.J. Um, very closely. And uh, but Trevor Galloway is one of crime fiction's most troubled uh, protagonists, uh, which is something that J.J. shares as well. But his writing's funny and sharp and clear, and he always tells a good tale, and he does it with um, usually following some type of you know, very distinct pattern in his books that in other writers would turn into a gimmick, but in J.J. is really skillfully done and just makes the novel that much more powerful. So I'm excited about his next book, and I recommend it to everybody out there. It's coming out in October from Down and Out Books. Well, another one of our recent guests, Gigi Pondian, has some books to suggest for the fall, but she couldn't stop at just one. This is Gigi Pondian. My latest release is The Lost Gargoyle of Paris, an accidental alchemist mystery novella featuring a locked room mystery set at Notre Dame Cathedral. I'm stopping by writer types with three quick fall book release recommendations. Yes, I know I don't know how to color within the lines, but if you know I write about a living gargoyle who fancies himself a modern day Poirot, you shouldn't be surprised. First up, Murder on Cold Street by Sherry Thomas. Her Lady Sherlock mystery series plays with the Sherlockian world in unexpected and absolutely delightful ways. Second, The Devil and the Dark Water by Stuart Turton. When I read the publisher's weekly review of this book this summer, I could not wait to get my hands on this atmospheric impossible crime novel set at sea in the 1600s. Is a demon responsible for deaths on the ship or is there a rational explanation? And finally, the Night Workers by Brian Selfon. I got an early look at this book, a literary thriller about a found family of money launderers, because Brian is one of my critique partners, and I am blown away by the finished product. Thank you, Eric, for having me today, even though I could not stick to just one recommendation. My final guest is Dr. John Bishop. His series about Doc Brady is on its third book. He's got Act of Murder, Act of Deception, and Act of Revenge that all follow the orthopedic surgeon as he gets into some real trouble. Well, John Bishop, welcome to Writer Types. Uh, now, Doc Brady is back for a third installment of your series, and I'm going to start off and let you do some of the heavy lifting. Why don't you tell us uh, about who Doc Brady is? Uh, Doc Brady is a uh, figment of my imagination, but a composite of a lot of people I've known, including portions of myself, I guess. He's an orthopedic surgeon uh, down in Houston, Texas, who uh, has an uncanny way of getting himself involved in all sorts of mysteries and murders, which he has no business trying to solve. But of course, because of his curious nature, he gets involved in these uh, mysteries. That's just another another Doc Brady meddling in business that he doesn't have any business meddling in. So he's, he's got some, <laughs> a, a 
of a comic character, but you know, he's also a serious fellow. Well, now all three of the authors on this episode happen to be doctors who are also authors, but you are the only one who chose to write about a doctor in your same field of medicine. So uh, you tried to downplay it there, but I'm guessing that Jim Bob Brady is maybe a little more than just a little bit you in there. Am I right? Well, me, me minus all the bad things. <laughs> so so you've, you've never gotten tangled up in a murder. No, Lord, no, no. I, I, I steer clear of that sort of problem. I try to steer clear of all problems when possible. But Doc Brady just plunges right in there, so he's he he, he does all those things I, I wish I could do, but I can't. Well, I mean, these are as you describe them. They're they're kind of they're mysteries first and medical stories second. I I would say. I mean, Doc ends up he does a lot of uh, you know amateur sleuthing outside the operating room. So I you know these aren't. Uh, you know, Michael Crichton type of medical thriller kind of things. These, these are these are mysteries at heart. Is that uh, your love of, uh, of what you love to read? Yes. Basically, I've been reading mysteries, uh, you know, most of all my life. And so, therefore, that kind of genre has always attracted me. You're right about Doc Brady. They're, they're kind of a mystery first tied into medicine, but it's, you're right, it's a mystery first. Very well figured that out. You got right on that one, didn't you? There you go. Hey, I'm a professional podcast host. Yeah, there <laughs> what, you go. That's what I do. <laughs> now, you have a fascinating story of your road to publishing the the first of these, and it involves a little bit of a familiar familial deception. Is that right? Yeah, my goodness, yes, it does. Tell tell us about that. Your uh, if your family conspired to uh, to rescue these books from from the trash pile. Well, I tell you what, I, I wrote these books uh, back in the 90s when I was working. The kids all remember, you know, me going upstairs at night or on the weekends and pounding the keys. And, and so I carried these little floppy disks around with me for years. And, and so uh, then my son, who's a software engineer, last uh, last year said, hey, Dad, Pop, whatever happened to those floppies and those novels? I said, no, son, they're, they're somewhere. I, they don't need to be looked at anymore. I, I've had enough pain about those novels and he said, ah, let me just look at them. Let me just look at the floppies. And so time went by and then it came Father's Day, I guess, of last year. And um, he gave me a gift and opened it up and there was Act of Murder bound and published by Amazon. And so that kind of, you know, rekindled the old interest and I read it a couple of times and I thought, well, no, it's not half bad. I've read, I've read a lot worse. And that, and that's, that's how it began. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, when you went back uh, to look at these books all those years later, was there a lot of revision and, and updating required on these manuscripts? Well, you know what I did? I mean, I updated it as far as speaking language and that sort of thing, but I thought it would be cool if I left the places as they were back then, like Tony's Restaurant or Damien's Restaurant or Houston Astros, still back in the Astrodome. And I, so I left the time frame back in the 90s. I left it in the same time frame. Even in that relatively short period of time, that would probably be a major revision to have to deal just with the technology that someone would be in. And, and, and in the medical field, I can't even imagine that technology has grown by leaps and bounds. Well, you know, because back then I was writing to, in order to research a, a disease or research some sort of medical problem, I would have to go down to the Jesse Jones Library at the Houston Academy of Medicine in Houston, and I would literally have to go through all these books and have a library assistant help me and get information that now all you do is just type in one word on your cell phone and you've got 
ten times the amount of information that you had back then. Well, now you also hit the sweet spot for uh, writer types guests because you are an author and a musician, uh, like myself, and, and we always love to talk about music on this show. You are a piano player uh, and you used to play in a rhythm and blues band. So do you find writing and playing music, do they feed kind of the same part of your uh, creative instinct? I think, I think so. I mean, you, you know, as an orthopedic surgeon, you know, you, you can't really be too creative. I mean, you can have certain standard things you have to do and you can vary it. But basically, you know, it's, it's kind of a by-the-book thing. Uh, but the nice thing about music uh, and the nice thing about writing is you can just make it anything you want it to be. Oh, for sure. Now, I'm curious, as an orthopedic surgeon, I mean, that is kind of notoriously one of the bloodier surgeries, as I understand it. I mean, do you think that you getting comfortable with the blood and and that kind of thing, does that ever translate to the page? Do you ever write anything and people read it and go, ooh, uh, you might want to tone this down. This is a little too real. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, the only person I talk to that reads the books is my wife and my son. And so they, they, the general will often say, ooh, you can't put that in there. Like, well, just like a day at the office, you know. Right. That, that would make most people faint and pass out. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> well, uh, John, I, congratulations on these books. I, I'm, I'm so glad that these got out of the mothballs. And uh, so thank your son for us that, that these are out in the world. Uh, I think it's, this is a, a great example for people not to uh, to give up on something, that even if they've set it aside a long time ago. There's always room for uh, for a second act in life. Yeah, I think that's right. I'll tell you, for, for whoever listens to, to this podcast about writing, I mean, you know, I open up a blank page and I just start writing. And, and it, you, you may think at the time you're doing it that there's nothing there, but there's always something there. It just builds on itself. And so never be afraid to just sit down and write gibberish until you see that it's going to go somewhere and make some sense. It's it's always going to be value. Nice. All right. There's some solid advice. I was hoping for some free medical advice, but we got free writing advice. And that's, that's better in a way. Yeah, yeah, if you have a swollen knee, I have to look at it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, folks, that's it for today. And we are taking a break here at Writer Types. I've been so busy that some other things that I'm trying to work on have fallen by the wayside, so I need to get to those and uh, get a little rest. So I'm going to take the rest of the year to regroup, but I'll be back with some new and exciting news. Until then, take care of yourselves, stay safe, please wear a mask, and please vote this November. Don't sit this one out. It's too important. I want to thank everyone for listening all this time. If you're new, take the time to go through the archives at writertypepodcast.com. If you've been with us since the beginning, I thank you and I appreciate you. This is a labor of love for me. I don't make a dime off of it. And in fact, it actually costs me money to, to make this show. And I know I say we a lot, but at this point, I produce, edit, write, book the show, promote the show all by myself these days. So, you know, I really only do it for the love of great books and the privilege that it is to talk to authors and to share their work. So if you've come along for the ride, I hope you've gotten a few good book tips I hope you've bought from an indie bookstore and I hope you heard something you might not otherwise hear from one of your favorite authors. Of course, I am also an author and you can always find more about my books at ericbeatner.com. Have a great fall and I'll speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.